And welcome to Season 2, Episode 29 of Logicast, the AWS News Podcast, brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined... I'm trying to think of some words that are not as always, but those are the ones that trip off the tongue. Uh, so I'm joined uh, as ever uh, by my colleague, John Goodall. How are you doing today, John? Oh, I'm impressed. You tried. You did. You really tried. I'm impressed. I tried not to say it, but uh, just nothing else trips off the tongue as naturally as as always. Um, so uh, anyway, we've had a little bit of a hiatus. You've been flying solo for a couple of episodes uh, while I've been laid up on my sick bed um, but uh, i'm back now and hopefully i can get through half an hour of waffling uh, without coughing too much into my pop filter but uh, how was it for you flying solo how was it for me oh dear that's not something you want to hear at five o'clock in the afternoon um the first one was all right because we planned that one the second one when you were just like not there that was awful it, I, I think in the preamble i said please come back <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it's always uh, difficult taking on someone else's role, no matter how simple it might seem. Uh, it's uh, yeah, or simple uh, they easy. might seem. Indeed, yeah, I see. I'm very simple. Yeah, very simple. Did you see? I got another cert the other day, though. No, doesn't really count. Oh. It wasn't a, oh, wasn't it's, a proctored oh, it's, exam. It's, but, yeah, uh, it's one of those yeah. fake business ones, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's real. Um, but uh, yeah, not not proper exam conditions. So. It took me a grand total of about 45 minutes, but now I can uh, proclaim myself as a generative AI expert. Um, so, um, yeah, nice, uh, nice um, fashionable badge to have right now. Um, so we did have a guest booked for today, but uh, through the uh, um, some cock up here, 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 there or wherever, uh, the guest is no longer with us. So you'll have to put up with just uh, John and myself. For this episode. Um, if you're new to the podcast, um, every week I uh, curate a list of AWS news, which goes out to the world every Friday um, in uh, an AWS news roundup uh, email newsletter. Uh, and then John and I uh, pick a subset of the articles from the newsletter that we'd like to talk about in a bit more detail on the podcast. So we've got a bunch of articles uh, that we'd like to talk about to ooh, talk to you about this week, put my teeth in. Um, and uh, strangely enough, I think possibly for the first time ever, none of them are about serverless. No, that's because you say that John and I do most of the talk, do the picks. And that's because most of the picks are usually me with the odd business one from you. And you've done all of them this week. So I don't know what I'm going to be able to say because it's all about business and insurance and yeah. Well, here we here we go. It's going to be a test. So, uh, and as you say, the first article this week is all about insurance. And you might ask, well, what the hell has insurance got to do with AWS? Um, but uh, this article is about the world of cyber insurance. The title is Five Value Propositions That Make AWS Cyber Insurance transformative for customers. And really what this is talking about um, is a new um, cyber insurance initiative um, that AWS has undertaken um, to simplify um, the process of obtaining cyber insurance um, for AWS customers. So uh, what do you make of this one, John? I hope you've had a chance to read the article. <laughs> um, cyber insurance is a funny one because it's kind of been bumbling around a little bit for about 10 or 15 years. It's not a new idea but you'd have seen it from 
like the really big players and they'd be insuring millions and millions and millions of pounds worth of, of policies and whatever. You're talking like your Lloyds of London type people. Um, and then you sort of start seeing your SMBs getting in, kind of looked after with like Hicks, uh, Hiscoxes and such. And I only remember that because I saw an advert for it going to work like on the tube. So, okay. But it's kind of bumbled around and not really done anything. You think, well, why do you need cyber insurance? What even is it? So on and so on. That the, the short version as I understand it, is it's insurance in case you have a data breach, you get hacked, something gets blown up on you for one reason or another, and then you have lots of unhappy customers, lots of lost revenue. It could be revenue protection. It could be uh, protection against legal action and being sued, so on and so on and so on. Cyber insurance generally has been quite hard to do, and the article does sort of say this because historically it's been something that was very very manually quoted it was very custom it was entirely based on your kind of workloads and there was sort of nothing like rubber stampy because if you think about say getting a house insurance policy or a car insurance policy because i'm willing to bet that the majority of our listeners have not bought cyber insurance even for like a car insurance policy you're still filling out five or six pages of information and yes that's been made easy with comparison services and what have you but you're still putting in who you are what you do what your other half does if you're putting them on the car what the car is where you live so on and so on and so on there's all of these different risk factors and that's just for a car right and you have to have that cyber insurance has been as it says in the article traditionally manual and cumbersome especially for smbs because certainly in our customer space when we focus on smbs they might have a small team, if they're lucky, looking after their, their cloud estate. They're going to be engineers. They're going to report probably to someone with a C or an MD type person that isn't necessarily insurance minded. They want to be running their business, not worrying about the ins and outs of how they're protected. So it kind of never really happened because you'd have to go to a provider. They'd say, well, can you tell me about your posture for this and your posture for that and how you're dealing with this that and the other threats and what's your procedure for dealing with cves and it would all just kind of be awkward silences tumbleweeds and say oh yeah yeah, yeah cves i know what they are and then you get some going oh, i know what the acronym is but what's your procedure for dealing with uh, zero days and patching we have a procedure and it was kind of it was it was that sort of conversation so it was always very awkward what this is doing what the article's talking about what aws is doing is it, it feels not like a comparison site, and I'm going to great pains to avoid saying the words, even though that most of them use Edipress. Um, it doesn't feel like that so much as a marketplace, so much as like a piece of intermediary work, more like a partner program than anything else. Because you're not going out, filling out the same information and just getting back 30 quotes, but that feels like part of the goal. Because one of the things they're saying is a qualified quote within two business days, and you can access partner companies for easier assessment and advice because again you probably have only a couple of people in the team so you need help with that kind of thing um loads of insurers both large and small so you could go to your lawyers of london and they'll charge you x amount or you could go to x y and z insurance company who specializes in your particular workload and pay a little bit less money for a little bit less cover and so on and so on adibus being an intermediary is good because I didn't know that more than a couple of cyber insurance firms existed. So you would have nowhere to even look beyond Googling it. And this kind of cuts the Google search out. And it was also going to people that you'd like to think AWS has vetted at least a little bit to make sure that they do in fact offer insurance policies and it's not a scam. So you'd like to think that. And again, it gives the insurers um, a level of, of 
warm, happy, fuzzy feeling, lack of a better term, um, that the companies that are talking to them have done a measure of due diligence. They've used at least AWS's security tools, security hub, guard duty, whatever, and they can kind of see in the account a lot easier what's going on. So it generally makes life a little bit easier. Insurance is something that lots of people should be considering. I'm not saying everyone needs to consider it because if you're running a microservice blog or something you know you're just blogging about it doesn't really matter you've got no data if you're holding pii you probably do want an insurance policy because you're going to get sued if that gets breached or you're going to get gdpr fines and all the rest of it so you probably do want something if you're holding certain sorts of sensitive data generally speaking the tldr of all of this is insurance is i'd call it a necessary annoyance not an evil an annoyance because if you need to claim on it then you need it and you're very grateful for having it. I mean, I claimed on my house insurance about a year ago and I was incredibly grateful that I had it, even though I had to pay my excess and the policy and all the rest of it. Because for the sake of a, a small policy and a smallish excess, I ended up with £40,000 worth of work done for me and I paid like 400 quid. So grateful to have it, but it's a pain in the ass to set up. And I think this is just removing that barrier to an extent. Yeah, I think you mentioned Security Hub, and I think that's the key to it. It's often difficult for the insurers to, um, or I guess it's difficult for the insurers to assess um, what your security posture is. And Security Hub, I guess, takes some of that uh, pain of assessment away because it's already doing that assessment for you. Um, And by the insurers working in partnership with AWS, they will actually understand what they're looking at. Because I think that's a lot of the time, um, you know, businesses may have evidence of their security posture, but if that evidence is not presented in such a way that the insurer actually knows what the hell they're looking at, then it's going to have no value whatsoever. Um, so, you know, if AWS is bringing these insurers into the program, um, training them up and explaining to them what they are looking for in terms of the output security of et cetera, then, um, you know, that should really help to streamline the process. One of the things I noticed, I'd, I'd seen a few other articles, announcements about this, et cetera, and mentions of sort of 12 different insurers and that kind of thing. I couldn't help but notice there's only three of them on the uh, partner page at the moment. So maybe this is another one of those kind of early stage announcements mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, something that's being developed as we speak. Um, but uh, yeah, there's only actually three insurers listed on the page right now. So it'd be great to see uh, that increasing. Um, but one of the things I did like about this um, is it mentions SMBs a lot. So our customers uh, are typically SMBs um, and often get forgotten about this sort of thing uh, because AWS tends to be very kind of enterprise focused. Um, but, um, you know, it's great to see that uh, small and medium businesses um, have absolutely been thought about. Um, in this uh, particular program um, because uh, things that are designed for the enterprise space tend not to work very well in the SMB space. It's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, these are not companies that are going to be spending millions of pounds a year on insurance. Uh, You know, these are small companies that have thousands of pounds a year to spend on insurance, uh, and it's good to know that they've been considered um, throughout this process. So, um, Watch your space, I guess. What were the five value propositions um, from the article? Uh, They were getting a guaranteed cyber insurance quote in two days or less, which seems great. Um, Dozens of insurers, large and small, participating. That's that was the the comment I saw there because I can only see three at the moment, but it's not criticism, just an observation. Um, Easy access for partner companies looking to help with assessment and advisory services. Great for us. AWS is an intermediary between consumers and insurance partners. Um, 
which I guess can only be a good thing to help facilitate those conversations. Um, and then st streamlining a traditionally manual and cumbersome process, especially for SMBs, as I mentioned. So those were the, the five value propositions highlighted by the article. Um, anyway, conscious of time, let's move on uh, from um, cyber insurance. But actually, it's a, it's a really neat segue into our next article, which is all about security hubs. So we've mentioned security hub in the context of cyber insurance, but that's not its uh, sole uh, raison d'etre. Uh, obviously, a security hub uh, is a tool uh, which is basically performing lots of automated checks um, against your AWS environment. And this particular article, the reason it got into the newsletter this week is because AWS have recently launched uh, 12 new controls for Security Hub, um, taking the total number of controls to 276, um, which is a lot of controls. But uh, tell us a bit more about it, John. What, what is Security Hub and what are, what are these controls and why, why should we care? <laughs> well, you care so you can get your cyber insurance sorted out, obviously. Well, yeah, we've given you a reason now to care. That is definitely one of the reasons to care, but uh, I think there are others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, before that, it's just kind of a nice service that sort of links the, the two together. But what it does is it takes data from various other security tools. So Macy, Guard Duty, Amazon Inspector, yada 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 and it puts them all in kind of one place that you can see in the console that you can have a look at and you can see here are the security findings here are things that i need to care about don't need to care about and i've said yada 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 but it obviously includes cloud trail which is kind of the key one there so it can see everything that's going on in your account assuming you've enabled these services like if you're not running workloads in S3, don't have any data in S3. One, what are you doing? But two, you don't need Macy because it only looks at S3. If you're not running servers, you don't need Inspector because it runs on servers, so on. But it, anything that you've got turned on, it will import the findings. It will take the findings and, and show you that data. It can automate some remediation depending on kind of the findings and whether you've configured that or not. But realistically, it's just a reduced way of saying, here's everything that's going on in the account from a security perspective. In one place, here's all the things you might want to care about. And typically, when you turn it on for the first time, you might see that um, CloudTrail will, it will complain that CloudTrail has said that you've done some things with it. Like, well, you, of course I did, I turned it on. But it will tell you that. So if someone goes off and turns it on or turns it off in another account or starts around with things you can kind of see what's going on and you can look at the findings across various accounts and it supports a multiple um, account structure with your organizations and it's just generally quite nice it's not free i don't know what the pricing is off the top of my head but it's not free it's free for 30 days and then after that i think you pay um based on kind of the data that's coming in and there's a cost calculator and so on. I don't like that it's not free. I think it should be free. I'm quite happy to pay for things like CloudTrail because that's based on log ingestion. So the more you do, the more you pay. Okay. Guard duty, I'm a bit iffy on paying for. I, I can stomach it. Macy, fine, pay for that one. But the tool that brings it all together into a nice, easy to digest kind of thing that you're looking at, I don't think they should charge for that. I really don't. I, I feel quite bad about that one there we go they've got some examples on the site and it doesn't look like it's going to cost an awful lot so it's uh, it's it's pay as you use like uh, everything else in aws um and it's based on the number of checks per month and i guess uh, you know 
with a lot of these things, it's kind of well, what constitutes a check and how many checks am I going to have? And therefore, what is it going to cost me? But there are some uh, pricing examples um, on the pricing page. Um, and they've got a uh, small to medium sized organization. So let's continue with our theme of SMBs. Mm. Um, and uh, they're basically saying, uh, you know, here's a cost calculation. Here's how many kind of checks, ingestions, uh, automation rules, et cetera, we think a small to medium sized organization might use. And it's spitting out a total cost of. 25 cents. Um, so uh, I don't think it's going to be outrageous, uh, even though it is expensive. Even in the case of a very large organization, uh, the example that they give is spitting out a total of uh, $1,600 a month, um, which if you are a very large organization, that's probably going to feel like a fairly small number to you. Um, you know, I guess it depends how realistic the examples are. But, um, you know, I think it's, uh, um, you know, I think it's pretty cost effective. Yeah, it's just one of those uh, principles, really. I don't like charging for security services. I think if you want to encourage people to use the security services, make them free because that yeah, way people yeah. will use them. You know, you just take the barriers away. Otherwise, you're going to get people saying, oh, you don't use that. Why? Can't afford it. Mm -hmm. huh? Okay, right. Purpose of the article, they have brought on 12 new security controls. Now, a security, a security control is, it, I think it's effectively a rule. I should know this because it was in the DevOps Pro exam. And I did get a question about it, but I must have got that one wrong. Um, it's basically a rule. So they've brought on 12 new controls. And with the controls, it now supports three new services. Now, these services I do like. So Athena, great. We like some controls that support Athena because Athena is... For those that are unfamiliar, Athena is a way of querying your flat file data in S3. So you can have your ALB flow logs, your VPC flow logs, some CSV files. I think it's what Parquet as well. And you can query them with a SQL-like language. It's basically SQL. Um, directly out of S3, you're not loading the data in. Yes, you have to build the schema so you can tell it you know, what it's looking for, but you're not um, reading the data into like an intermediary and storing that it's reading it directly from S3, which is great, but you pay based on what you're using. So controls around there and keeping your cost under control is good. We like that. It supports Amazon document DB brackets with MongoDB compatibility, close brackets. Yes, that's the full service name. Good grief. <laughs> but if you're stuck with using document DB with MongoDB compatibility because you had an architect that wanted Mongo but didn't want Mongo, because they do manage Mongo as well, so like whatever. Um, again, good to see another service supported. And Amazon Neptune, which for those who are unfamiliar, is a graph database which runs behind things like Facebook and social networks and, and what have you, um, because that stores data about objects and relationships between objects and you get a lovely pretty picture if you look at them and so on um, and it's good to see that Neptune is coming into the fold a little bit there because AWS has generally been pushing Neptune as uh, a player in the graph space because up until now it's been basically Neo4j or, or nobody else because why would you use anybody else they were the primary player but now with um, Neptune you've got, you've got some better security controls because it's now baked into AWS security hub great you've got serverless that they brought on a little while ago as well great so it's becoming more of a full-fledged sort of service that they're supporting so generally good to see um the new controls are looking at security best practices and some national institute of standards and technology standards so if you're working to these standards um great because they're there on top of kind of what you're already dealing with um and yeah it says you know you can try it for 30 days you get these additional controls um you can subscribe to the 
SNS topic for notifications about things when it comes to your region, because I don't think it's in all regions just yet, because that's a thing. Um, but yeah, generally good. More security controls is great. I wish they'd make it free. So don't expect that you can just turn on Security Hub and go and get some cyber insurance. It's not going to be that simple. <laughs> uh, these are checks, uh, checks against best practice um, controls. Um, so chances are when you turn it on, unless you've been very, very good um, in uh, how you've built your environment, it's going to tell you that you're doing a whole load of things wrong. Um, so uh, you're going to need to correct those things before you say, hey, Mr. Cyber Insurance Company, look at my security hub. Because if they see a sea of red and uh, a mm. sea of wrong, um, then uh, either you're not going to get any cyber insurance or your cyber insurance is going to be hideously expensive. Um, so uh, it's well worth going through the uh, the findings of Security Hub uh, and getting um, either your uh, managed service provider, like Logicata, <laughs> uh, or uh, one of your uh, infrastructure engineers to go away and fix uh, some of the things that it's found that you're not doing correctly. Um, so uh, might be stating the obvious there, um, but uh, worth stating nonetheless. So uh, let's move on from the uh, thrilling world of insurance um, and uh, security checks uh, into uh, the even more thrilling world of Microsoft licensing. Uh, so uh, you might wonder why we're going to talk about Microsoft licensing on an AWS news podcast, um, but there was an article last week. Um, Microsoft has made a very small tweak to its uh, licensing for Microsoft 365, um, which now means um, that if you're using Amazon Workspace's virtual desktop infrastructure, you can actually run Microsoft 365 um, on your Amazon Workspace's desktop without needing to pay for any additional licensing. So John, I know you love a bit of Microsoft licensing. Um, so, uh, what do you think about this one? Surprised to see this? Um, I think the article itself, as you go kind of further down, sort of explains my thoughts on this quite well. It feels like a very large customer of Microsoft has said, well, we've got some workloads over here with you. We've got some workloads with AWS. We've got this enormous 365 license, which I keep wanting to call 0365 because it was Office 365 forever, and I'm old now, so I can't change names in my head that well. Um, and we will start either legal proceedings or we will just start dumping you as a supplier if you don't let us do this. That's what it feels like. It feels like they've been pressured by either a number of large-ish companies or one very big company that Microsoft have gone, oh, all right then, which is why it's a very small tweak. Because if you kind of go through the article, and I haven't read the licensing because I have a life, um, but if you go through the the article, there are listed providers which you're not allowed to run it on their virtual desktop services and that's alibaba amazon google and weirdly microsoft so you can't just spin up an azure vm and then install it on there you have to go through their kind of virtual desktop service which is outside of azure don't know why they've done that possibly so that they can say that they're not being anti-competitive because they're blocking their own cloud maybe um but now they have remove the restriction very specifically for Amazon workspaces. So you can't spin up an EC2 server, put O365 on there, M365 on there. You can't spin up a server inside VMware on AWS and do that. That's not allowed either. That's still not allowed because um, that would be covered by the restriction on AWS on Amazon. But yeah, it's... 
I think you can do it. You just weird. need to buy more licenses. As yeah, it's, it's like a license portability. Article, so. Yeah, it's like a license portability thing. You also have to pay for the license to be able to move around, and I think it's basically doubling your cost because God bless Microsoft and and the fact that they love to screw you to post for licenses seems to be their only way of making money these days. Um, it's it's weird. It's weird. this something about this doesn't sit right. It's just weird. It hasn't come as a part of a wholesale review of Microsoft licensing. It's just a little thing that's popped up out of the blue. Um, and, uh, yeah, so like you say, some pressure somewhere has uh, has caused this. But, you know, if you are using workspaces or you want to use workspaces, then it can only be good news. Um, anyway, I think we spent far too long already yeah. talking about Microsoft licensing. <laughs> so let's move swiftly on um, to uh, observability, um, which is uh, – quite fashionable at the moment we've spoken about observability on the podcast before um this is uh, an article from aws's own website um uh stating that uh, aws has been named as a challenger in the 2023 gartner magic quadrant for application performance monitoring and observability um so it's not the first time they were in it last year I don't know how many consecutive years they've, they've been in there now um but um you can see uh, in the. I mean, I'm looking at the uh, the article here, and we've got the magic quadrant. So in the in the challenges um, quadrant, which is the top left, we've got AWS, Cisco, Microsoft, and IBM. In the leaders, um, lots lots of uh, vendors that you would expect, like Dynatrace, Datadog, New Relic, who really are the guys who are kind of leading in in the uh, the, the observability space. Um, Splunk and Honeycomb in the, in the leaders um, quadrant as well. Um, but, uh, you know, AWS uh, definitely moving up um, in that, that challenges quadrant um, to uh, eat um, some of their suppliers' uh, lunch. Partners. Is that the correct? Uh, yeah, some of their partners' partners. Yeah, so some yeah. of their vendor partners' lunch. Um and uh, somehow I got I got dog's dinner in my mind because I was thinking about lunch and data dog and dog's dinner. <laughs> yeah, my mind just got it. I got a little bit confused. But um, anyway, um, so, um, yeah, um, what are they doing well? Uh, what are they doing right, John? Uh, AWS must be doing something right uh, to be challenging the much more established vendors like data dog, New Relic, et cetera, who they really would be seen as the leaders in this mm. space. So what are they doing oh, right? Been- I've been banging on about this for a little while. CloudWatch generally has become a much better rounded tool for your monitoring and observability. Right, days gone by, it would do a little bit of metrics for your EC2s. You could import non-EC2s into it, but just like don't. Um, and it would do your logs. And that was it. And CloudWatch Logs is arguably a separate service from CloudWatch Metrics to the extent that they call them CloudWatch Logs and CloudWatch Metrics. Like they actually call them different things, even though they're in the sort of same space um, and now there's this whole piece around internet monitoring and error rate reporting and all sorts of other really cool stuff and then you throw in things like x-ray as well and then you've got actual proper observability observer here observability is the word into your code and you can see where bottlenecks are and all that kind of thing so it just feels like a relentless focus on the customer the customer's needs looking at what the rest of the market are doing, saying, well, if they're going other places for that, why can't they just spend more money with us and we'll just make it better? So I think it's just this relentless focus on serving the customer better in their space rather than saying, yeah, oh, Datadog have got that or oh, Dynatrace have got that or it's any logs to Splunk, we don't care. You know, it's they're doing good things in good places in a really targeted way, I think is what's going on. 
Yeah, obviously now you've got the Amazon managed Grafana and uh, managed service for Prometheus as well. Um, so uh, both uh, sort of key you know, open source projects in the observability space. Um, so you can run all of that um, as a managed service without having the overhead of building servers and installing the software yourself, which is all great. Um, but uh, I did kind of dig a little bit deeper into this uh, when I was reading the article. And I think... Uh, Part of the reason why AWS is still in the challenges um, quadrant and not the leaders quadrant um, is perhaps around um, lack of support for uh, various different languages and frameworks. So I can't remember where I ended up, but I think I found that uh, X-Ray, for example, currently only supports Java and uh, and something else. Um, so uh, .NET, I think it was. Um, so uh, yeah, that'll here, be a here specific feature. X-Ray um, generally is quite well supported for the same languages that lambda works with so it's not too bad but it's it's uh, spotty node.js java and .net that's what it supports at the moment so that's quite a lot um mm. but well, could, you yeah, know because node.js covers javascript it covers uh typescript it covers angular it covers quite a bit but some big gaps there uh, nonetheless which um you know some of the other observability tools um Perhaps are covering off better, so um, yeah, maybe maybe more uh, support um, for um, for more frameworks will help edge AWS into the leaders column. So I guess we have to see uh, where they end up in the twenty twenty four magic quadrant. But uh, definitely good um, to see uh, all of the advances that AWS is making there. Um, conscious of time, let's just go on to our last um, article for this week, um, which again is something we've spoken about a number of times on the podcast. Uh, the article is entitled No Backing Away from the Cloud, um, and it's debunking this myth of cloud repatriation. Um, the press love to jump on uh, uh, articles announcing that uh, big companies have left the cloud and building their own data centers and blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, I think we've long been saying it's not really a trend. Uh, but this article finally puts some uh, some numbers um, behind it to prove um, that this is not a trend. Uh, these are kind of isolated instance, instances. Um, and uh, also goes on to talk about uh, the actual cloud adoption trend. So what, what are your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, I mean, I've long said that cloud repatriation is a nonsense. It's a complete nonsense. They quote two companies in there at the top to say that, yes, it's nothing new. Dropbox left back in 2015. 37 Signals announced that they're doing it last October. And the only one I can think of that's done it is, I think, Zynga, who you won't have heard of, but they do like mobile games and stuff. And that's just because of the sheer amount of data they were moving up and down the pipes. And that's why they kind of they left AWS, well, they were in AWS, they left AWS, and then they came back to AWS anyway. So it's like a, they sort of did a bit of a roundabout thing and worked out they're better off just taking it on the chin. In terms of um, the article more generally, I think the, um, it's Cloud Tweaks, but it's O'Reilly, basically. Um, oh, really? A... <laughs> <coughs> oh, dear. Yes. You're supposed I, to say no, O'Reilly. Uh -huh. I know, but every time someone makes that joke, I just see those programmer book memes where it's, you know, throwing uh. stuff at a wall until it sticks. Oh, really, media? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, the thing that I kind of thought they were a little bit misguided on, per se, was that 20% of respondents of this survey, and it was 700-odd companies, I think, so it's a reasonable sample size, weren't doing anything to manage cloud costs. And they found that number to be quite surprising. I'm surprised it's not higher than that, to be really honest, because the vast majority of the SMBs 
might have a guy that cares half the time. So of course they're not doing anything with cloud costs. They're barely doing anything in the cloud. Barely. Right. They're running the whole business in the cloud, but they're running four servers. Who cares about the costs? It runs the business. So I just think that that one was an interesting thing. They were surprised that it was that high. And I'm surprised it's not higher. But I suppose this is just a at the coal face in the trenches sort of view rather than data backed. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of other stats in here that 58% of the respondents said their company would be spending more on the cloud this year than last, uh, and the other another 32% was spending roughly the same amount, uh, and only 10% was spending less. So, uh, doesn't really support a trend of uh, of cloud repatriation. Uh, but the press do love to jump on the the same two examples every single time. Um, but um, yeah, lo lovely to see that myth uh, debunked. Um, but uh, we have reached the end of our time this week, so it's probably lucky that uh, we didn't mm -hmm. have a guest because they wouldn't have had time to say anything. So uh, <laughs> you know, we're back. We filled uh, we filled our time, and uh, that is the end of season two, episode twenty nine of Logicast. So thank you very much for listening. Um, if you liked it, tell your friends. We are available for download on all major podcast distribution platforms. And we're now live on YouTube. So uh, pretty easy to find Logicast uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode for you. And we'll see you again next time.